0: Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. What makes trust being such an important component for growth? Today we'll talk about trust building as the catalyst for growth together with the leadership coach, Min Nasuto. And now, relax and enjoy. to our show. This is Mark speaking from our studios in Helsinki. According to Paul J. Zak, building a culture of trust is what makes a meaningful difference. In his research about trust published in the Harvard Business Review magazine, he found out that employees in high trust organizations are more productive, have more energy at work, collaborate better with their colleagues and stay with their employers longer than people working at low trust companies. They also suffer less chronic stress and are happier with their lives. And these factors fuel stronger performance. Paul was able to measure in his research the payoff from the efforts put in developing trust. He called this metric return on trust. Among other factors, he found that compared with people at low trust companies, people at high trust companies report a 40% less burnout less stress and 50% higher productivity level. They also fall sick less often, feel a greater sense of accomplishment and earn more salary. PricewaterhouseCoopers published in its global CEO survey that 55% of the CEOs think that a lack of trust is a threat to their organizations, but still companies don't work actively with this topic because they are not sure how to approach it. Nick Cowley and Nigel Peirce present in their book Five Conversations How to Transform Trust, Engagement, and Performance at Work different types of approaches to build trust as a catalyst for growth. To talk about them and the importance of trust and psychological safety, we have today with us the leadership coach, Mina Suto. Mina, welcome back to our show. It's great to have you with us again.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's lovely to be here.
0: To start talking right away about the main topic, let me ask you, what does trust mean to you?
1: Trust is the foundation of all good relationships. It's the basic requirement for meaningful interaction with other human beings and it's what makes social engagement possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, trust uh, makes this discussion possible so that we can have a good conversation here and uh, it's what makes any d- meaningful discussion possible. So thank you for trusting me with this question and trusting me you know, to be your quest- guest today. So it's well worth taking a look at trust. Uh, I think that the most important thing here is that we human beings, we are social animals. Our brain is the organ of relationships and we make decisions based o- upon our emotions mm. and it's other people that evoke our strongest emotions. It's always like we are in relationship with other people, and this is where we need the trust factor. Mm-hmm. Our nervous system is essentially concerned with survival. If we think about an antelope on the savannah, it's not marveling about the beautiful day, but it is constantly scanning the environment for early warning signs of threat. So actually, like we are not different to antelopes or any animal, uh, other animals in in this world. Okay. Like we have a scanning system in. In ourselves, and we are all the time, our scanning system is scanning the environment for any signs of threat and asking, like, you know, am I safe in this environment? Am I safe with these people? And the neuroscientist uh, called Stephen Stephen Porges, he has invented a new word to describe this, uh, the process of scanning the environment. He calls it neuroception. Mm-hmm. So that we have uh, like uh, not just like you know perception in, in our mind, but it's the neuroception where we're scanning for this safety. And it's not a conscious process. Mostly we are unaware of the fact that we are doing it. We, we don't really pay attention to that, but we are still That's kind right. of like you know doing it, and it shows up in the way in which we interact with other people. Uh, the highest level of response to the information that we are processing is social engagement. It's the state where you kind of like feel that you know you're at your best. Uh, And you're at ease with people around you. You You're able to share these really good conversations. You're able to share your concerns and whatever worries you and and then you can uh, say your wacky ideas aloud. You don't, you're not afraid of other people. And I often call this uh, this uh, state a resource state because it's the, mm. it's the kind of like, you know, when I am at my most resourceful and uh, when I'm the best version of myself. So this is what we really kind of like, we all hope that we could be in this kind of an environment. But uh, thinking about so many business environments, um, it's not always possible. We are not always in a very trusting environment. Exactly. So if this kind of like social engagement is not possible, the next level of response is the fight and flight response. We see a lot of this in organizations. Uh, at worst engagement with other people it's a very unpleasant struggle it becomes a fight for resources it becomes like backstabbing cultures and mm-hmm. we can't really trust people where is that idea coming from what does he really mean with this and people either fight for their goals or if it becomes really unpleasant they flee they kind of like you know they retire and they they become more withdrawn so it's fight or flight response there and uh, in extreme cases of course what happens If you can't flee or you can't fight... Then you freeze. And then, then that's the response. And and you can really like totally shut down. And sometimes in organizations, when, when somebody experiences something really shocking and when there is like a break of trust totally, people shut down. And sometimes this happens at the at the um, process of layouts and, and stuff like that, when there's organizational restructuring, people shut down totally. They can't really leave the company. They can't fight for it. They, they have no other way. And then they shut down. And then we wonder, like, why did the productivity of the company all of a sudden? like, you know, drop 30%, 40% oh, even. These These are the states of different states of trust, and this is neurological. This mm-hmm. is something that happens to all of us. We are perceiving the situation and we don't even, we're not even aware of it, but this is what happens with us. Mm-hmm. So I have found this description and this kind of like these levels uh, very helpful for me when I'm thinking about organizational behavior. It becomes clear why trust or the lack of it, is such a vital issue for companies. And why it is such a vital issue for me, for example, as a coach. I can't have any meaningful conversations with my clients unless at the beginning of the conversation or or our meetings we establish a trustful environment.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Mm. Why is trust the ingredient for meaningful discussions?
1: Trust is kind of like the basis for everything. People will shut down. You can't have a conversation if I don't trust you. I'm not going to share my real thoughts with you. I will become very cautious. I, I don't want to kind of like engage or I will engage in lip service. I may say something <laughs> that I don't really mean. Okay. So these are signs of, you know, the lack of trust.
0: I like how you call that lip service. Yes, <laughs> That's yes, a good way yes. to label it.
1: Yes. It's, well, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. In many organizations, this is what people engage in. People are like polite on the surface, but uh, they don't really want to disclose what is going on in them. In, in change, which organizations are involved in all the time. Mm-hmm. This is such a big matter because trust is always shaken, because you don't know what the future becomes, so at least you should be able to trust the people around you. That's right. So So this is why kind of like in this changing world, uh, having those people you can really trust around you will help you also to self-regulate and, and you know, find the resource states which you really need when, when we are in the demanding business context we are. For me, trust is the feeling of safety with others. It is being in a state where I have access to my best self, to my capabilities, to my... Uh, resources and the things that i uh, I want to share with others mm-hmm. uh, we talk we often talk about that what is the added value that you bring to this company when we are in a trustful en- environment and safe environment, that's the only environment where we really can bring our best into the company. So if companies want to add value to their business, they should really be interested in how to create trustful environment.
0: I think that's a great input, especially when thinking on the final result we are looking for. And at the end of the day, mm. also we see to experience an improvement in the performance. On that level, I like uh, Stephen Covey's approach on the topic of trust. And he defines trust basically of a combination of two dimensions, what he calls the character and the competence of a person. The character would be the side that is more composed by the intent and integrity of our actions. Uh, this means... Just how caring and transparent and open we are, and the honesty and fairness based on what we do, and it's a bit related to what you were saying now as well, yes. you know how yes. transparent, how open we are, and then how people can see our true intentions. Mm. Then there is the other side of it, which is the competence, and that's driven by our capabilities and results. Uh, this means how we put our skills and experience in use to perform, building our reputation as well and credibility and it's when we experience both, we experience that character and the competence when trust will start to arise, it's going to be built. Uh, sometimes I compare this to a tree. Mm. The roots of the tree would be the character, and the base and the leaves would be the competence. If that tree has very weak roots, when the wind when the is strong, so it's not going to last long until the whole tree falls because of the weak roots. At the same time, if the roots are very strong, but there's no leaves, so you know it's lacking that yes, beauty, no that performance. So by working with both, I think that it becomes very clear that it's important to be transparent, it's important to be honest and have that character and the credibility, and that will be proven also by the results of our performance. So developing both character and competence, it's another way to understand the meaning of trust and the key elements also to develop them. Mina, we have been talking about trust and why is it important, but how can we know... Actually, if trust is taking place around us in our company.
1: First, we could take a look at ourselves. Like, how are we experiencing the situation where we are? <laughs> uh, am I in a safe and trusting organization? Uh, some signs are like, you know, am I constantly feeling stressed? Because stress is a sign of often it's a sign of mistrust or lack of trust or okay. lack of safety. People who have a lot of work, it's, it's really nothing to do with the amount of work you have, but it's more to do with what happens if you fail at something, right? Do you need to be afraid of being kicked out of the company? Do you need mm-hmm. to be afraid of your boss coming and telling you off because you failed at something in a stressful situation? And is that going to add to your stress levels? Are you cautious about expressing your views? Uh, are you always afraid of some people in your organization are you generally feeling unsafe with your work in that environment if you have taken a, a look at yourself then you could take a look at look around and see how how other people are working and you know what is the behavior of people in your organization or perhaps just even in your closest team do people feel free to admit weaknesses and mistakes do they ask for help uh, do people take risks in offering feedback and assistance? Do they offer and accept apologies without hesitation? Is there that kind of an openness in the conversations and in the general feeling in the company? And do you look forward to meetings and other opportunities to work as a group? Is that going to be fun for you? Or are you dreading those moments when you have to be with those people?
0: I heard that so many times among my clients when they are not really looking forward and they try to find an excuse to try to not just cancel, but maybe not show up or yes. <laughs> try to leave as early as they can. And I think it's a very good indication as well about, you know, when you're having joy yes. and you're enjoying being mm. with uh, with those teammates or at a specific group.
1: Yes, I remember a particular leadership group of which I was a member and, uh, and we had our first uh, team leadership uh, training or the kind of like retreat. And I remember like, you know, for about two weeks before that, dreading the day when we would get together because mm. there was no safety in the group. And I was dreading the moments when we would have to, open up and share something about ourselves, because I did not feel safe in that leadership group. One of the great things about the leadership training, like the experience, was that the trainer was able to create, start creating that lacking trust in between us. Coming together and talking about things was the first step towards building a more trustful team. Hmm. Trust is only built when we face those things that we fear the most,
0: that's a great point, especially when thinking as well when you notice even at Tinder, the there's too many discussions around politics. Yes. And not really focusing on the things that matter, the things that will make an impact then towards the strategy. So I think that's another way also to recognize if there is trust or not is how much time do people around you spend with uh, what somebody has called return on politics or they really face the real challenges and they focus for the greatest good of of the team. And then I'm wondering as well, you know, if there is any, what is the connection between trust and the capabilities to handle conflict in the team?
1: When there's a lot of conflict in some team, that can be a sign of a low level of trust when people are attacking, constantly attacking each other. Mm -hmm. But the absence of conflict also is a sign of low level of trust. So Mm -hmm. you have to have a certain amount of conflict. You know, the ability to deal with conflict is actually a sign of trust. So that when we have conflicts, which we always have, we have uh, different opinions on, on matters. And if we don't have different opinions, then why do we have teams if we all agree on everything? <laughs> so uh, So kind of like, you know, it's always very important. It's always very important to have an ability to deal with conflicts and trust is the ingredient that you need. So that I can be straightforward with you and, and um challenge you on certain things or I can say how I'm feeling about some certain things. Uh, that needs a lot of trust so that the conflicts can be brought up to the surface. So that they're not like the bottom of the iceberg somewhere there and people are just like having this polite chit-chat talk and um and we can really deal with those things so the absence of conflict and the you know the constant bickering and the conflict where there's no nothing more than conflict those are both really warning signs about the lack of trust but healthy conflicts when conflicts are being brought to the surface and they're discussed that's always a good sign and that's a sign of trust
0: I think it's important to make the difference about which kind of conflict we are talking about. We can Mm -hmm. face the kind of task conflict, Mm -hmm. which is just different opinions about how can we solve this. We have different views and we need to polish and exchange ideas until we find a way to go forward. And that is the kind of conflict we are talking about, disagreement on what to do and how to approach that task. Then the other type of conflict would be kind of Mm -hmm. the relationship conflict, when things start to get personal. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what we see more often if there's no trust. So we still can have conflict, but it's not the kind of productive conflict mm. at the end of the day that we're looking for, right? When people take things too personal and they start to attack attack each other. Uh, and many researchers, what they point at is that high performance teams and those teams that they perform the best, they always have this high element of conflict at the beginning of the discussion and very low level of emotional conflict. Mm-hmm. And then after they agreed on what to do, then they move on. They just commit and feel accountable for their common decision and then they move ahead. On low-performing teams you can find the other direction when there's a low level of task conflict but a high level either agreeing too much on everything <laughs> as you said before or too much emotional conflict even if it's not face to face but after the meetings or in the coffee room or in other locations so I think it becomes a clear element on the performance arena.
1: Even the kind of like you know the emotional conflicts it's always like, and I, I, I dearly love my husband, for example, but we have a lot of emotional conflicts, but the ability to kind of like deal with them and bring them to the surface and discuss them and, you know, and talk about this difference that we really have. And, you know, sometimes in a very heated manner, that is a sign of trust in our marriage. I, that's how I see it.
0: Is he going to listen to this podcast or?
1: <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I hope that you don't tip him off of, of this conversation, but he would agree. He would definitely yeah. agree with this. That, that's important also that the emotional discussions, but obviously you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to have those one-on-one. If you have a conflict with you in a team, then we may have these discussions outside of the team. That's what I was, was pointing yes. at, this uh,
0: you yes. know, outburst of emotional yes. conflicts. I think that when we develop self-autonomous, high-performance teams in a company, we see how they are driven and committed to achieve ambitious goals together. I think it's a great way to see how they behave. They also share a common vision to aim for, and and as well, they have interdependencies in order to achieve their goals. I think that there is as well a high level of communication in these kind of teams as we have been discussing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of transparency and trust. One of the companies that has been extensively researching and experiencing with this topic of high-performance teams is Google. They noticed that complementing trust with psychological safety is a critical factor to achieve ambitious results in a sustainable and self driven manner. Minna, what does psychological safety mean in practice?
1: That you are safe to take risks and suggest to your and speak out. Give your thoughts, even though they might not be totally polished and finished yet. So Mm. you can start thinking aloud with the other people and you can ask questions that sometimes may seem silly and you feel safe to ask for help. Sometimes people, hmm. you know, they struggle in, in some companies, they struggle with their tasks because they, they are afraid of uh, showing that they're vulnerable. They don't know everything. And
0: they made a mistake.
1: Yeah, that they made a or they made a mistake or, or that they really screwed up with a client or something really like bad happened. But uh, in those places where there is a lot of trust, people take up all these things as fast as they can. And everybody starts dealing with these things together. So there's a mutual support system also. So this is what psychological safety might look
0: like. Mm-hmm. One of the cases I saw once, which reminds me a lot to what you're saying now, is when I was coaching this team and one of the one of the executive members just came in and hadn't slept well that day and had had a bad night. Yes. And he just openly said, you know, he was very transparent. Like he had had to fight at home. He wasn't in the best shape. Uh, they had some issues with his wife and uh, he mentally was not there. So would it be okay for him to skip that meeting? Uh, I think that it was a very good proof of transparency and vulnerability because at that stage he totally opened up. Yes. And it was really pleasant and nice to see how the other team members respected, first of all, thanks him for opening up. And at the same time, they decided to postpone the meeting to the next day because they considered him as a high adding value person. So it added two things. First of all, it was showing to the team what happened to him and at the same time the team had the opportunity to show respect about how much they value this person yes and i could notice the day after how much stronger the team was just because of that small five minutes moment
1: and and, and this is good point that um, that we are able to kind of like show up at our weakest point also because people know that we are good and we do our best always mm-hmm. right they trust that we have done everything that we can to deal with this situation so if we say that you know no i'm not up to it it's not because you're lazy or you're stupid or, or something else but there is really something that you know needs to be respected so that you always kind of like in this psychologically safe environment you always uh, interpret other people's behavior in the best possible way you don't think bad of them you kind of like see that if somebody snaps at you mm. you don't think that they are an idiot you you think that you know oh he must have been having a really bad day. How can I help him? This is psychological safety. And then the other, other one might come back to you and say that, you know, oh, I'm so sorry that I, I snapped at you. It was nothing to do with you. And then you kind of like said, oh, I understood. And I was just waiting for the right moment to have this conversation
0: with you. And this could be, oh, it is very well linked to what you were saying before about the flight or flight response. Yes. I mean, when there is that understanding, there's no trigger anymore on the fight or flight response because yes. when you feel safe in that yes. environment, that is what it is and you accept things as they flow in. Mm. So that doesn't trigger, which means also huge relationship with stress levels, with how our capabilities of creativity Mm. and making good decisions will also be at the end of the day. So we can see that how all loops together also to the topics of performance, innovation, creativity, and being able to create the best output we can as a team. Trust is earned when actions meet words. Chris Butler Back in 2009, McKinsey mentioned in one of their quarterly surveys that many studies have concluded that for people with satisfactory salaries, some non-financial motivators are more effective than extra cash in building long-term employee engagement. Many financial rewards mainly generate short-term boosts of energy, which can have damaging unintended consequences. Business leaders have great opportunities to reassess the combination of financial and non-financial incentives that will serve their companies to improve performance and go through difficult times. The respondents of the mentioned survey view three non-cash motivators, from which the top two were praise from immediate managers and leadership attention, like for example, one-on-one conversations. They considered them as no less or even more effective motivators than the three highest-rated financial incentives, which were cash bonuses, increased base pay, and stock or stock options. The non-financial motivators play critical roles in making employees feel that their companies value them, take their well-being seriously, and strive to create opportunities for career growth. These themes recur constantly in most of studies on ways to motivate, engage employees, and build trust. Mina, let's concentrate for a while on the top two to understand better which different types of conversations we can focus on to build and maintain trust. So which kind of conversations we can undertake to work on trust building?
1: This is something that I've been interested in recently, that there are basically at least five different types of conversations that managers could be having to deliberately start building a trustful environment. Mm-hmm. So there are practical steps that you can take towards building a good, good relationship with your team and, and in your organization. And the first conversation always is about establishing the trusting relationship. And you cannot have a trusting relationship with somebody unless you get to know the person. So it's about developing the relationship with the person. It's Mm -hmm. it's about uh, relationship, not just the tasks that the person is doing, so that you're not just like telling people what to do, but you're actually taking an interest in
0: them. Even just socializing.
1: Yeah, socializing is a great way. Like you know, just uh, spending time uh, with people. And I'm just um, doing a training in in a week's time with a with a group of nurses. And one of the things that they raised in there, which would improve their uh, well being at work, is to have more coffee breaks together. You mm-hmm. know. This Sounds is just like, you know, because they have new team members coming in there. Yeah. And, you know, they just said, you know, this would be like the number one thing for them to start building a better environment. And I was thinking that that's not a very costly thing to do. Coffee breaks mm. have everything to do with the community, building community, building trust with each other. And you, when, once I get to know you better, then I will be able to trust you in very critical moments. And, and those nurses definitely have some very critical moments in their work.
0: That's a very interesting case when thinking one of my clients just told me a couple of weeks ago that uh, her manager told her that, look, we didn't come here or we don't come here to make friends or to socialize or drink coffee. We come here to work and that's about it. So please stop spending time talking to the other mm. workmates about your weekend or socializing a bit. So let's focus on completing the task because we are busy. So from what you're saying, that is totally counterproductive. It, it is it will t- the-, it,
1: the coffee machines are the places where every you know, valuable piece of information is being changed in companies. And it's the place where people build relationships. And I, probably the ver- worst thing that companies can do is to cut cut those social breaks with, that people really need.
0: Coffee or tea? Coffee or tea, <laughs> coffee or tea
1: or, or even water. Like, you know, I know when, when people still smoked, I would go out with people. I'd never smoked myself, but I would mm-hmm. go, you know, when they would smoke their cigarettes just for the social experience. So it's it's whatever you do, but you need to have something to gather around, like some kind of like a, a reason. And that's, that's a very important thing. And as a manager, you, you really need to get to have these discussions. And and the main topic of a first trust-building conversation is that what do I need to get to know about you, Mm -hmm. your motivations, your style, your preferences, so that I can help you to be your best and we can work together really effectively. And also, what do you want to know about me? Trust is a two-way high street, right? So it it goes both ways. I trust you and you trust me.
0: That is correct. And I guess that also in this kind of conversations, then we'd have the opportunity to open what would be the second conversation, Mm. which is, okay, How can we agree on the mutual expectations?
1: Mutual expectations is the the second conversation. That when you kind of like you know the person, then you start talking about what do I expect from you at your work? You know, when you're working in my team, what are your, what's your role and what do you need to be doing here so that you will be fulfilling your role? Mm -hmm. And also you will need to be able to tell me that what is your expectation of me as your manager? How often would you say want to have conversations with me and what kind of support would you need and how would you like to be left alone in certain places like you know would you like to do things independently so that I know that I, I will not become your micromanager so all of all of these things and, and the mutual expectations so that you will know what I expect from you and and the other way around also so this is the conversation number two
0: you said that there were five so which would be number three
1: number three would be showing genuine appreciation So that I notice you at work and that I notice what you're doing, why I like working with you, what is good about you, uh, what has been good about your performance today. We all go to work also for the social context that we have. And this builds trust that I am seen as a person. We we don't want to be treated just as objects or or machines that are some kind of like robots who who are working there. You want to really like, you know, have, have these conversations when you show appreciation
0: for people. I think it's important as well in those mm. contexts to be very concrete. Yes. So it's not just about saying, okay, you're a very nice person. Yes. It's about recognizing that excellence, recognizing specifically what is the thing that this person did well yes. and what you admire. Even if you experienced that on a first person or you heard even from somebody else to use the opportunity, if it's not on the spot, even later on to come back that you heard from somebody that said and bring that element of praise as well. Just to give some examples, a template that was given a couple of years ago that I think it's very useful is like have three different methods depending if you are in the moment, you heard about it or you want to come back with it later on. So you could simply say that uh, when you're with that person, just say that I want you to point out several things I've noticed that you have done very well recently and just go specifically with those. The good thing about this method is that you can also use email communication. I noticed that sometimes some people, they don't like, they feel a bit shy of face-to-face interaction. So when you notice that those are the preferences of those type of people, it's also nice for them to receive a yes. text message or, or an email. I always prefer face-to-face, but I noticed that sometimes people, they like this other kind of way of communicating. If you have heard from somebody else, you can simply say that, okay, John told me that you really excel or you perform really well at this concrete yes. uh, task or solving this. So it's another way to bring that element or just bringing the trio element. So if there is, I don't know, there is Susan in front of you, I would say like, hey, Susan, uh, while Mina is here with us, uh, let me tell you, let me share with you some of the things that Mina has been doing recently. Great. Mm -hmm. that I want to share and some of the things I I really like about her performance. And then also use that social element to promote that person among others.
1: That's very good. That's really, that sounds really great. I wish that uh, somebody would have done that to me (laughs) at some stage.
0: (laughs) It's never too late. You know, I just did it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. So what would be then the number four if we move to the next conversation.
1: It's a challenging unhelpful behavior. And by unfe- unhelpful, I don't necessarily mean that somebody is being rude or behaving in a disruptive manner. Unhelpful behavior can be something that is um, below the level of expectation, something that you're not doing that would help your performance. So these conversations um, are always about helping other people perform better so that is your kind of like the motivation for those discussions. As an example, I, I could tell an example about a recently appointed key account manager in an organization where I was working years ago, and she was uh, uncertain of herself and her responsibilities at the beginning, and she would let the previous key account manager who was in all of those meetings to answer all the questions that really had to do with her clients now, Okay, and she was not able to own the client, and own those questions. So after one of those meetings, when I had spotted this behavior in her, I took her aside after the meeting, and I challenged her uh, very kindly. And I said to her that that it's really time for you to up your game and, you know, start, start taking responsibility for your client. Um, but he knows the client so much better, she said to me. And I said, so what? Do what you need to do to get to know your client so that you can you know, take the role that you have been given, because in any organization, you know, if you don't perform the role that you are supposed to be performing, yeah. somebody else is going to be performing in that place. And uh, you are the key account manager now. So, you know, start acting like it. And uh, this was like a light bulb moment for her, because from the next meeting she started behaving in a totally different way. She started answering those questions and, and I could see the f- expression on the face of the previous key account manager, like he was about to start answering the question, but you know she would butt in and she would kind of like take the role. You know She became a really valuable key account manager mm-hmm. and, and she was excellent in her job. It's just about, sometimes it's about courage to, to have those discussions where you are encouraging other people to be who they are supposed to be.
0: And as you said before, sometimes the unhelpful behavior is not just about negative hmm. kind of habits. No, I had this one case of a, of a CFO that he was promoted to a new, a new role, and then he kept behaving still as a CFO, hmm. which still was creating some results, right? He was creating some outcome at the end of the day. It wasn't exactly the kind of outcome that was expected from him. So after chatting with him and after he realized that he needed to incorporate new habits, the old ones that had been helping him to achieve certain goals were not useful anymore. I hmm. just need to replace those with new ones, especially when related to micromanagement or checking numbers, or and then instead of that, focusing yes. more yes. on supporting his mm-hmm. uh, his team. So sometimes it's about that. So of course it can be about negative uh, behaviors that mm-hmm. impact in that yes. way to other people or the results, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's just things that work before. But they don't work anymore, so hmm. they don't help you reaching your final goals.
1: There was this uh, Danish uh, TV series, like um, which I really loved, about a prime minister in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this brilliant moment when this woman had become the prime minister of Denmark in this series. And she had a wise mentor, a political mentor. And he once said to her, if you are doing everybody else's job, who is doing yours? I thought that was a brilliant <laughs> moment like you know
0: and what was the answer <laughs> <laughs> well there was a
1: there was a quiet moment there was no clever comeback and I I kind of like I often go back to that because that mm. is what happens when we are not comfortable in performing the job that we have been given
0: so what we have seen so far until now conversation number 1 was establishing a trusting relationship conversation number 2 was agreeing mutual expectations the third type of conversation was showing genuine appreciation and the last one, the number four, we have seen, it's been challenging and helpful behaviours. So what would be the last one?
1: Conversation number five would be building the future and talking about their future mm-hmm. career aspirations or growth needs or whatever is relevant for, for this person and having these discussions regularly. Rather than just like the once a year some kind of like a performance review great
0: point, but yeah.
1: having these discussions like what are you learning what are you what are your targets at the moment, and when we see that the company is changing our our strategy is changing, then we always need to have these conversations that you know how is your desire and your development going to be linked to the Uh, targets of the company and the strategy of the company and how can you already start building the skills that we need in this company in the future when we want those people to stay with us and what is the direction of the company
0: to use those opportunities as well to share more information uh, about the company as you just said i think it's extremely critical because sometimes i notice as well that many employees they lose that sense of direction what's the purpose of what we are doing what is the ambition that we are having you know Because without that piece of information, it's very hard for anybody to decide what to Mm -hmm. prioritize. What should I be doing first? Mm -hmm. What is the meaning behind Mm -hmm. what I do? So taking those uh, moments to build the future in both dimensions, one thinking about me as a human being, how can I grow and continue developing? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what is the sense of direction? What is the ultimate vision that I'm going for Mm -hmm. together with the rest of the community, the rest Mm -hmm. of the group, to have that sense of belonging? I think that this is a great conversation opportunity to bring that element as well of Belonging and being part of something bigger than just your own growth.
1: And then we need to ask again, like, why is this discussion, why is this conversation trust building? Mm -hmm. You know, it is trust building because I can be open about what I want in my life and what the company is planning and it's it's openness it's transparency it's like you know those. i don't have to hide anything yeah you know we can have these conversations because often in many organizations people don't want to share with their boss what they want to do be doing in, in a couple of years time and they just want to keep everything hidden but how about if we if we trust each other then we can have these mutual conversations and people can you know say that you know in five years time i would like to be in a managerial post so there it's great way to build trust in the person
0: What I find fascinating as well about this topic is actually how it has been able to be measured. So there has been a research as well done and they have been able to see that the oxytocin levels in our body go up or down according to how the trust is generated as well. So they have been able to prove through many years of research that the more trust we create, the higher levels of oxytocin we have in our body, mm. which is also linked to the level of happiness. Yes. As some of you may know as well, oxytocin is highly correlated with experiences of happiness and well being. So we noticed that as a way to measure as well is this true or not true? And mm. the scientific facts is that yes, it's been validated, and these kind of conversations help also the, the brain to produce more oxytocin, mm. which I find extremely, extremely interesting. And at the same time, to understand that the stress. Mm -hmm. For example, it's an inhibitor of this substance, of this brain chemical, which means that we saw that element when we are suffering periods of high levels of stress. Then we understand why it's much more difficult to relate to other people, Mm -hmm. why our levels of empathy, satisfaction, fulfillment and happiness may suffer. So there's a big correlation as well over well-being development and the quality of decisions that we make and how we interact with others to understand how everything interlinks, the importance of trust, not just for the performance Mm -hmm. and the bottom-line results that we Mm -hmm. have seen. There is good scientific research that guarantees or guarantees that proves the point about what is the big impact on the return on trust development, as well how this impacts on how we create these safety environments around us and then the different type of conversations we can engage from today and learn to help to build that trust inside our teams so it's been great Mina to have you again with us it's been a pleasure thank you thank you for sharing your wisdom with us now I'm going to go on the, what was the conversation? The praising. <laughs> it's been also great to see through different series of podcasts. I'm going to put down in the comments link, the other interviews we have had together with, uh, with Minna. So if you're interested also on the other topics we have been discussing, like feedback and leadership development as well. Thanks again. It's been a pleasure to have you with us and this is your home. So welcome back anytime in the future.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, I just want to say that, you know, when there, when there is trust, there is a relation in, in a relationship. Uh, we are always open to new ideas and new possibilities and collaboration. So it's a pleasure to be collaborating with you.
0: Likewise. Thank you very much, Mina. Talk to you soon. So that was all for today, and thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.